guys, this is Jim, and welcome to the Holmes Politicast. I hope everybody had a safe and enjoyable and amazing Independence Day weekend. Uh, mine wasn't, as, uh, the weekend was great, but the uh, night of the 4th of July was a little difficult. Um, the neighbors decided to reenact the bombing of Pearl Harbor outside of my bedroom window, and Although very patriotic, it was extremely loud, and I didn't really get to bed until well, about 2 in the morning. I did get to get sleep until about 2 in the morning, um, and I had church the next day, so I was pretty groggy. But other than that, it was fantastic. Uh, for me personally, for our country, uh, this week the red, white, and blue has gotten a black eye, it seems. Patriotism is out of style. I saw many posts on uh, Twitter, uh, not so many on Facebook because most of my friends are pretty sane, um, but on Twitter I saw a lot of people who, if you posted a picture of the American flag or uh, anything saying, you know, happy 4th of July or Independence Day, suddenly there were uh, uh, a lot of angry comments about, you know, how partisan we are and uh, you know, as if somehow being patriotic means that you hate black people or something. And that was disturbing. And that was actually very sad that something as simple as posting a flag or saying, you know, happy 4th of July, America, or something was somehow taking a political stand against, um, uh, or I guess a political stand in favor of racism, I guess. I don't know. Uh, I, I might be able to understand if I posted pictures or anybody posted pictures of the Confederate flag or, you know, happy Independence Day. Here's Jefferson Davis or, you know, things like that. Maybe I could understand, like, why are you posting these pictures on the 4th of July? But to put up pictures of Abraham Lincoln or great quotes from our leaders of the past and flags somehow has gotten... Uh, it's gotten almost to where it, it appears that that is a very partisan act. And people that I at one time respected on Twitter on the 4th of July, I saw them writing um, about how it shouldn't be celebrated. It's uh, white, uh, what was the word they used? Uh, white privilege. Uh, it's just white superiority. Things like this saying that we shouldn't be celebrating it. And I was very disappointed. I don't know if they are just trolling, which is possible that they are just putting these things, you know, just like newspapers will, or I mean, not newspapers, uh, news sites, and I use that term loosely on, on the internet, will put uh, crazy things sometimes in order to get you to like or respond. You know, the more hits they get, you know, especially if they are a paid advertiser. And that's the case sometimes with some of these celebrities and other people. Um, they will be paid to uh, promote a product on their Twitter account. And so they get more money if their Twitter account has more followers or has gets more likes. They can charge more money. So even though that, that very quote might not be promoting something, they can go and show their people, look, this, these are the average amount of likes I get. So it is possible that sometimes they just write something sensational um, 
just an attempt to either get attention or to get more likes. I don't know if that is true. That is just a sad way to earn a living. But, um, but anyway, I, I was really disappointed. I was hoping that this 4th of July, hoping against hope, I guess, that this 4th of July, this Independence Day, we could all come together at least for one day and put our differences aside and just celebrate our freedoms. And I know, you know, maybe there is some social injustice. I'm not saying America's perfect, but they, everybody is so much better off today than they were 100 years ago. White people, black people, women, uh, Irish, um, Chinese, Catholics, everybody is better off today than we were 100 years ago. And I think that's worth celebrating. Even if we haven't completely achieved all of our goals, things are so much better. And it, I was hoping that we would put down our, our weapons, our, our, you know, whether those weapons are, you know, arson bombs or, you know, um, or guns or our keyboards or whatever. We'd put down our weapons and just all unite and say, you know, I'm just glad, you know, that I'm an American and that we have the freedom to protest and we have the freedom and apparently the freedom to burn down buildings and vandalize public property because nothing's happening to these people. You would think that in itself, they would be thrilled that, you know, in some countries, uh, there, it would not be, they would not be able to get away with this. Um, and that's, you know, in some ways good, in some ways bad, I guess. Uh, I mean, it would be great if we had that kind of law and order in this country, but then at the same time, you know, I don't know if I'd want, um, I'd want the government to have that much power over my life to dictate what I, uh, I don't know. It's, 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 I don't know. I'm going back on my, my own thought here as I'm speaking, because I'm thinking, well, um, it is, pro it is public property. So it's not, it's different if this is private property. So yeah, there should be some law and order here. And I think everybody is getting a little disgusted, except it seems the politicians, the politicians don't seem to mind all that much. I've heard not a peep from the Republicans. They have not come out in defense of stopping this. Um, the governors aren't doing anything. The president isn't doing anything. Well, he's tweeting. He's tweeted law and order and make America great again about 3,000 times in the past three months. But uh, I shouldn't say he's not done anything. He did send in some troops to protect some, some uh, monuments in Washington, D.C. So I have to take that back. I'm not, I can't say he's not done anything, but he's not done nearly enough to stop this. Tweeting is not going to stop it. Um, giving speeches at Mount Rushmore is not going to stop it. Although, speaking of the speech at Mount Rushmore, uh, he gave a, the media called it a very dark address on the 4th of July. It was not that dark. Um, you know, it, it, it wasn't what we typically associate with a, a 4th of July address, you know, an Independence Day address filled with a lot of soaring rhetoric and oratory and, you know, and patriotism. I mean, I did have some patriotism, but I mean, so it was a little bit darker than usual, but what he said wasn't really all that bad. But if you read the press accounts of it and you listen to the Democrats talk, you would think that he stood up there and talked about the glorious South and and what great men the Confederates were and how we need to bring back that, that whole system of plantation ownership and slaves and, you know, and all this. Uh, it was, it was, 
it was really disheartening to read the comments about it. Again, I was hoping that on this one day, um, at least, we'd be able to put a, put aside our differences and focus on what unites us, which is a lot more than what divides us in this country. Uh, Senator Tammy Duckworth, I you know I, I always forget where she's from. I believe she's from Illinois. I may be wrong about that. If if uh, if that ever came up on a quiz show, don't quote me, you know, because you may lose money. Um, I get her confused, honestly, with uh, another senator named Tammy Baldwin, and uh, one of the two are from Wisconsin, and I I, I get confused between the two of them um, when I just hear their names. So, but Tammy Duckworth, who actually is a veteran, she lost her legs. Um, in the in the either the Gulf War or in Afghanistan or Iraq, you know, this last time around. Um, so she's not, you know, she's not a coward. She's not. Um, I, I think she's, you know, she. It's commendable that she served her country and and honorably. And uh, so I don't have anything against her uh, personally. I have something against her politics, and I really have something against the way she um, promotes her politics, and that is that. She, you know, she said the other day, I'm paraphrasing, that um, all Donald Trump did on the 4th of July was talk about dead traitors rather than live patriots. And that is just not true. And I just want to say something quick. I do have some news stories here that I want to talk about real quick. But I, I just wanted to say real quick about, about this that, you know, Tom and I talk a lot about politics. I talk a lot about politics with a lot of different people. And, and I know Tom's in agreement with this, and I just want to say say this about, you know, we make a lot of fun of the Democrats and politicians in general, calling them dumb and, and things like this, and their politics are dumb. But I, I just want to be clear here. The politicians in Washington are not dumb people. They are not. Tammy Duckworth is not dumb. Nancy Pelosi is not dumb. These people are not dumb. Barack Obama wasn't dumb. Hillary Clinton wasn't dumb. They may be evil, but they are not dumb. And Tammy Duckworth knows very well when she's talking to her base that they did not watch Donald Trump speak. They hate Donald Trump. Whatever you think of Donald Trump is relevant. The base, the Democratic base, does not like Donald Trump. And they're not they're not interested in hearing what he has to say. I mean, very similar to how a lot of, uh, I don't know if the hatred is the same, but it's very similar in a lot of ways to how the Republicans felt under Obama. You just didn't want to listen to him. You know, oh, Obama's giving a speech. I don't really care. I'm not, you know, they're going to interrupt the programs for it. I'll find something else to watch. I'll put in a DVD. I'll go outside and mow the lawn. I'll watch paint dry, whatever. I'm not going to listen to Barack Obama give a speech. I have no interest. And that's how a lot of Democrats are, too, about Donald Trump. Donald Trump speaking at Mount Rushmore for the Independence Day celebration. I'm not watching. I'll find something else to do. So she knows that they didn't watch. So she can get away with saying a blatant lie. She knows very well that that's not what Trump did. But she can say it because she knows that her base, probably 90%, I'd say 99% of the Democrats didn't watch that. They just had no interest or they hate America or whatever their reasoning is, you know, or they had something better to do, you know, the night before, you know, uh, go out to eat, go shopping, whatever, visiting family. Most of the people didn't watch that speech, so she can get away with it. And that's what I, I want everyone to understand, that sometimes uh, AOC and Nancy Pelosi and Bernie Sanders and 
Democrats come up with these crazy ideas and you think, wow, they're so dumb. Their their economics don't their their the numbers don't add up. They don't, you know, they don't care. They know they don't add up. They're not stupid. They know uh, socialism doesn't work. You know, th they're not idiots. What they're counting on is that you don't know that socialism doesn't work, that you'll buy their lie. They're counting on the fact that you don't know what Donald Trump really said. So they can tell you this is what Trump said. They're counting on the fact that after years of indoctrination and ridiculous uh, teachings in school, or I should say non-teaching in school, Americans have been dumbed down for generations now. And they know that when, you know, there was a time when in the Lincoln-Douglas debates, and I, this just amazes me, that Lincoln would spend two hours giving a summation about slavery. And then his opponent, Stephen Douglas, would then spend an hour and a half rebutting what Lincoln just said. And then Lincoln would get another hour to rebut what Douglas said. And then they would alternate. These things would go on for hours and they would go into the issues of trade and they would go into foreign policy and they would go into domestic policy and they would speak for hours. And the newspapers would reprint verbatim what was said. It was just a transcript. It wasn't, it wasn't like today where, you know, uh, Lincoln and Douglas met today and, you know, and they spent, they had a spirited, they had a spirited debate and, you know, and, and they'll give you little excerpts, you know, you know, and, you know, here are some highlights of what was said. No, the, the readers back in 1858, when this was done, knew exactly what the issues were. They knew exactly what the two arguments were. And it was long. And I have to admit, it would be hard for me, even though I love politics, I would find it hard to listen to a debate because I've been conditioned by television and by movies and by the internet and, and school and all these things. I've been conditioned to listen for sound bites, to just get the highlights. You know, when they, you know, they give you, now in debates, they'll give you a minute and 30 seconds to explain your foreign policy position on Iraq, how we're going to get out of Iraq. Oh, wow, a minute and 30 seconds to explain how we're going to get out of a quagmire that we haven't been able to get out of for almost 20 years. You know, that is just ridiculous. And so my point is now, of course, with television, everyone works on sound bites, getting that perfect sound bite out there, you know, because the nightly news back in the days when that was the prime thing, you know, they only had a half hour to give you the news. And so if you wanted to make sure you got on the news and you're a politician, you, you make a quick, succinct statement like, you know, uh, just to use Trump's thing, like make America great again, or, you know, we want the next four years to be better than the last four years, or, you know, um, you know, you know, that, that kind of thing you deserve, you know, we, you know, I, I don't know. There's just all kinds of these little, you know, stock phrases, uh, you know, and any, any of you can probably pop them into your head. If you've watched any, any news over the years, you'll get these catchphrases that stick in your mind. Um, you know, Clinton had his putting people first, uh, you know, the bridge to the 21st century. We want a bridge to the 21st century. That was his 1996 campaign pledge. What did that mean? Well, who knows? But it sounded nice. I want to build a bridge to the 21st century. Of course, he was running against Bob Dole, who was talking about how great America was in the 50s and things. And so Clinton's, you know, I want to build a bridge to the 21st century. Bob, the Republicans and Bob Dole want to take us to a bridge back to the 1950s. You know, that's a very quick soundbite. It doesn't really tell you anything, but it very but it, it's just a very quick soundbite that they can play on the news and, and get stuck in people's heads. So my point is Hillary Clinton and Barack Obama and all these people, 
and, and it's and let me just say it's not just the Democrats. Republicans are guilty of this too. Don't don't think that the Republican Party is pure and is the driven snow, and that they would never deem to do something like this. The Republican Party is bad too. But right now, we have a presidential election coming up, and the Democrats are going full born in this. And I just want you to understand that the Democrats know what they're doing. Tim Kaine does not really, that senator from Virginia does not really believe that slavery was started in the United States. He knows very well. He had an education. He's not dumb. He actually knows that. He's counting on the fact that the American people don't know that. They don't know their history. They don't know world history. They don't know about the history of slavery. They don't know the history in the Bible. They don't know what the Bible says about slavery. There was slavery in the times of the Bible. They don't know about you know, all of these, they don't know about Egypt and they don't, you know, they know that the people don't know this because they're not taught it. So they can get away with making outrageous statements. And that's why even with the tearing down of statues, we're seeing people who don't have any idea. They're just tearing them down. Just the other day on 4th of July, they tore down the statue of Frederick Douglass, who was a black abolitionist who was one of, at one of the smartest men in American history. I mean, he was a brilliant thinker. And he was, in my opinion, the smartest black person of his time. He was thoroughly read. He understood. He had read Socrates and he had read Plato and he had, you know, looked at constitutions around the world. He knew, oh, he was just a brilliant. If you have a, if you have an opportunity to read some of his writings, they're absolutely amazing. And he was a brilliant man at that time. He was not supporting slave owning. He went against Abraham Lincoln when Abraham Lincoln, even though Abraham Lincoln, he admired what Abraham Lincoln was trying to do, but he stood up to Abraham Lincoln when he thought Lincoln was wrong on some of his policies. He came out. He wasn't a shill. You know, he wasn't, uh, you know, as some would call him, you know, an Uncle Tom or, you know, a shill for the white man, you know, doing a little dance for, you know, for some recognition. So a white man pats him on the back. No, he stood up to white people and he stood up to black people. He stood up to everybody who was, who he thought was wrong, and and he didn't just stand up to him and was a bully. He he fought them with logic and intellect, and left them without an argument. And that is the way to do it, guys. He was a great man, a great American, and they tore down a statue. I, why? I have no idea. They probably don't know who Frederick Douglass is. They probably have no clue. They you know. They had no clue about him. If they heard his name, they wouldn't know anything about him. Uh, you know, so if, if, you know, if there's an old statue here of Frederick Douglass, it must be because he was, uh, you know, they're glorifying slavery or they're doing, you know, whatever. I don't know. My point is they got rid of it. So my little rant there is I, I just want you to remember that, yeah, we make fun of the Democrats lots of times, but it's really no laughing matter. The politicians know what they're doing. This is not a mistake. They don't, they know, uh, they know a lot more than they're letting on. They're trying to play stupid because, because then if you, if you accuse them of having evil plans, remember Hillary Clinton's like, you know, I, I, I didn't know I deleted those emails. Oh, I don't, you know, I'm just bemused with technology. I have no idea what I'm doing. Um, no, uh, I, I hate Hillary Clinton, but the truth is she's a smart woman. She's a smart woman. And she knew exactly what she was doing when she set up that email system. She knew exactly what she was doing when she deleted those emails. She knew that she was going around the Republicans in Congress because she did not want them to get a hold of her emails and use them against her when she ran for president. She did it intentionally, but 
she claimed she doesn't know what's going on. I didn't realize I'm horrible with technology. I don't know. I'm just pushing buttons. I didn't know what to do. It just deleted stuff. I, I have no idea. It's a lie. She's very smart. She may not be right, but she's smart. She knows how to handle uh, power and she wants that power. And it's the same thing with all politicians. Again, I don't want to turn this into just a one-sided rant and make the Republicans sound like they're, you know, just innocent. But um, we're talking about the Democrats right now. And the Democrats know exactly what they're doing. Nancy Pelosi knows exactly what she's doing. They know uh, when she's taking down those Confederate statues in the, in the uh, Confederate portraits in the Capitol Hall, there's a reason for it. And you need to think about what those reasonings are. What is, is she trying to distract you from the real issues of the country? Is she trying to, um, you know, I mean, there's, there's a lot of different reasons why I believe that they're pushing this. There's a lot of different reasons. And I don't have time to go into it because I'm already halfway done and I haven't even gotten to the news yet. But um, the big news story, or a couple of big news stories, one of them is the electoral, or the Supreme Court, I'm sorry. Um, it, the Supreme Court ruled unanimously, and this is pretty rare, nine to zero, that states can punish the electoral college members who break a pledge to vote for the state's popular vote winner. Um, I think this is a good thing. I. I haven't had time to read the actual, you know, the text of it, which is hard to do anyway, honestly. Um, it, it's profitable, but it's very difficult to do because there's a lot of legal jargon and it's really kind of difficult sometimes to understand what they're saying. But if you can bear with it, it's always a good idea to read the Supreme Court rulings and not just base it on the interpretation because sometimes the ruling is you know, they don't tell you exactly what the ruling is about. They give you just a broad, this is what it means in general. And sometimes there are loopholes and other things. And that's why we get surprised sometimes when a ruling comes down that we're like, that doesn't make any sense because the Supreme Court has ruled this way before. And if you looked into it, you would find that, yeah, that ruling had a loophole or that only applied to certain things. But again, we're dumbed down in America and we don't know what's going on. So, so it's always a good idea, but um, I would think, I, I would think that most people would be in agreement and I don't know. I'll have to listen to Tom's podcast and see, maybe he has a different view on this because he's, I hate to admit it, but sometimes Tom's a little bit smarter than I am on some of these issues because it, it sounds good that, you know, if, if, if your state votes a certain way, you should be, you know, you should be forced to vote that way. I mean, this idea of faithless electors and you not knowing is just ridiculous. I, it just seems to me off the top of my head that if, you know, if Michigan hypothetically votes for Trump in November and then his electors decide we don't want Donald Trump, I don't like Donald Trump personally. I'm going to vote for Colin Powell or I'm going to vote for, you know, you know, anybody, whoever, Gretchen Whitmer. Well, that doesn't seem right because Michigan voted for Donald Trump. So they should. That's how I view it. Now, I could be wrong. Maybe there's some loophole in here that I'm not familiar with yet. And like I said, I haven't read the whole opinion. And maybe then I'd say, oh, this isn't a good, this is not good for the country. We shouldn't have, we shouldn't have that. But offhand, it sounds like a good ruling. And uh, it was nine to zero. Um, yeah, that's great news. Um, I, I think, uh, <laughs> I know, I, I'm, I vacillate back and forth on this. I know I'll say it's great news and then 
you know, then maybe by next week I'll be saying, oh, this was horrible. I can't believe they did this. Um, uh, another story that very well could have huge implications over here and just goes to show that 2020 needs to go home because it's drunk. In the Global Times, North China's Inner Mongolian Autonomous Region, that's a handful, on Saturday reported a suspected case of the bubonic plague and issued a level three early warning on Sunday, urging re residents to strictly follow prevention and control measures regarding the handling of wild animals. Um, this is just ridiculous. Uh, as if it couldn't get any more crazy, now China, what is it, first of all, what is going on in China? Are they, are they testing chemical weapons? How is it that the coronavirus comes out of China and now we've got a bubonic plague, which is being found in China? Either someone is creating germ warfare against the Chinese, and I'm not saying it's us, I don't know, I mean, it could be, it might not be, I don't know, I'm not really into that conspiracy theory circle. I'm sure there's a lot of conspiracy theories I could find about, you know, if I was trying about why China keeps getting these diseases, but uh, I normally wouldn't place any emphasis on this because China does seem to have a lot of diseases that just are in China. But after the coronavirus uh, became a global pandemic, I've been paying a lot more attention to what happens in China because honestly, I heard about the coronavirus in China and I saw it on the news. It was just a little blurb on the world news at one point. And I remember thinking at the time, you know, all oh, that, that must be horrible, you know, having to wear a mask everywhere and, you know, and have that virus, you know, and I thought, thank God I live in the United States. I mean, it'd be horrible to live over there. And I just didn't take it too seriously. I thought it would just be something that would be a relative epidemic in China and it would go away. And I didn't think that there was any danger that the United States would get it uh, or anyone else in the world for that matter. So I was very dismissive about it when I read it. I just, you know, it was one of those things that I read about and was like, okay, I put it out of my head. So when I read this, it could amount to nothing. It could just be alarmist. It could just be they're, they're erring on the side of caution. And then later they'll realize, oh, well, there's, uh, we misinterpreted it. That wasn't the bubonic plague. Um, but I think it's important that everyone knows. It's from the Global Times, as I said. Uh, I get it on Twitter. Um, I don't know if – I'm sure they have a website or something. But if you're interested in hearing it, they have a lot of news about China. Um, unfortunately, China is so, uh, so, um, it's, you know, the news is dictated, so it's hard to get a lot of fair and balanced news out of China, but the Global Times has always done a pretty fair job as far as Chinese propaganda and things like that. You know, it, you know, like I said, there's only so much they can do, but with what they have, they're usually pretty good about talking about China. Like I said, if this was, if they had a free and fair press there, then I would say the Global Times is nothing more than propaganda because it's just, you know, it, it many times gives the government perspective. But since they don't have a free and fair press, all they have is the government perspective and they do challenge it sometimes. They do report on things that the government might not, you know, I don't know how to word it, but. I think they're a lot more fair as far as Chinese media. If, you know, 
Um, like I said, if they had a fair press, I would give the Global Times the time of day because it's too pro-China. But if you're interested in what's going on in China, it's an English-written um, newspaper and or website or whatever it is, news source. So anyway, I would encourage that. Um, from the Daily Wire, there's an article that says CNN is now pushing to remove racist language such as master bedroom and putting people on a quote-unquote blacklist in these things. Um, that's all I really need to say. Um, CNN is one of the worst networks around. Uh, it, is, it is an absolutely rag of a newspaper or a news source. Um, so I... I only bring this up because I just think it's so ridiculous. I mean, if you if you look at what it, I don't know how to word this. If you look at what sparked all this, if you remember back, it was that George Floyd, an unarmed black man, was killed by a police officer who was performing his duty and um, uh, ended up using lethal force. It wasn't intentional but ended up using lethal force to take him into custody. And the outrage was that we needed better training for police officers so they can bring suspects into custody without using lethal force. That is what started all of this. You know, and I, I've seen this on Twitter from a lot of my black friends on Twitter. They're saying, look, all we want is police to be trained better so that they're not killing people when they're trying to bring them in. That's what we want. And then you have the leftists in media, the quote-unquote woke left, who then hijack the movement. And I truly, truly believe this, that, that you have a bunch of white liberals, rich white liberals, who have hijacked the movement when they wanted police to stop using lethal force to bring suspects in which is not unreasonable. It's nothing unreasonable about that. And I think everybody, Republicans, Democrats, white people, women, men, children, everybody would agree that's a good thing to bring suspects in, teach them how to do it in a non-lethal way. You know, that way everybody's safe, including the police officers, how to defuse a situation, these kind of things, just better training. Um, and then suddenly it was hijacked into defunding the police. We wanna get rid of the police altogether became hijacked into taking down statues, getting rid of Aunt Jemima syrup, painting Black Lives Matter on on the streets in front of uh, Donald Trump's uh, Trump Tower, his penthouse, um, you know, now wanting to get rid of language such as master bedroom and putting people on a blacklist and things like this. And here are these black people who are concerned that it seems as if, whether real or not, it seems as if there is a larger amount of black people who are dying at the hands of police than white people. Don't know if it's true or not. That's not the point. We don't need to debate that, but it per is perceived that way, whether that's because the media only talks about the black people that are killed or wh whatever. Um, or whether there's a larger percentage of black people who are taken into custody. So, of course, there's going to be larger black people. We don't need to have that debate. 
because that's just a distraction like these other things. The point is, these people are concerned about police brutality, even if it's not intentional. The police are killing people, even by accident, and they shouldn't be. They are not comforted because you took down a statue of Ulysses S. Grant. That doesn't make them feel better at night when they're worried that their children or their brother or themselves is going to be killed when they go out to get a, a bag of Skittles. They don't give a darn if Black Lives Matter is painted in front of Trump's tower in New York City. How does that help them? <laughs> How does that help them? How does it help? Uh, you know, what, what part of give the police better training means ban Aunt Jemima because that syrup is racist. What? You know, it's like these woke white liberals want to feel, they, they want to feel something. They want to have some emotion. So I feel guilty. I want to do something, some kind of penance for these people. But, you know, so we're going to just invent little things because, you know, but you know, police reform is hard, and I don't—I don't know what the reasoning is. I don't know what the reasoning is, but for some reason, they don't actually want to do something that the people want. They want to do something that's going to give them a pat on the back. Like you're so woke, you're so, you're so politically correct. That—that that is just wonderful. You're going to get rid of Mrs. Butterworth. Oh, you know that is just wonderful. Thank you, thank you for existing. You know that's—it's like they just want the accolades. They don't actually want to do anything for black people because if they did, and it wouldn't just be for black people, it would be for everybody, be the benefit of everybody. If we have better police training, more police officers on the street so that police officers are not working 12 or 16 hour shifts, you know, for days on end because there's not enough police officers, you know, they should be able to have days off, you know, consecutive days off to spend with their family to unwind you know, instead of just being on hyper alert all the time, every time they go out in public, they're on alert because, you know, they're constantly making snap split second decisions and, you know, and, and having to walk into every room thinking there's a potential for violence in this room, walking in their hand on their gun. I mean, I've seen it in every place, every time I've seen a cop enter a coffee shop or something, and I don't blame them, but they walk in and they have their hand on the ready near their gun. Because when they walk in, you don't know what you're going to walk into. This is deplorable. Put more police on, on the streets so that they can have days off. I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying it's deplorable that they have to worry. I'm saying it's deplorable that, that, that there are so few cops on the beat that, you know, that, that, that they are working you know, 12 to 16 hours a day, you know, uh, six or seven days a week because we don't have enough police officers on the force. And that's this is their life. I mean, it's gonna get to them. They're gonna have PTSD, just like a just like a soldier. If that's all year round, it's gunshots and fires. I mean, and and uh, and fighting and violence and things. I mean, it's gonna get to your psyche after a while. You know, so you know, so that that's what we need. It'd be benefit to everybody. It'd be benefit to the police. It'd be benefit to white people. It'd be benefit to black people. It'd be a benefit to everybody to have police reform. And with the, not handcuffing the, the cops, but giving more police on the streets, making sure the cops have more time off and, you know, get better training so that they're not having to provide lethal force to bring custody, uh, suspects into custody and learning how to defuse a tense situation without using violence. Doesn't always work, but there are times that they can, they can defuse a situation. 
you know, um, if people are getting angry, you know, they, they, there are keywords that you can use to calm people down and things like that. Um, like I said, it's not going to work in every situation, but they should have that training so that they shouldn't have to use their weapon unless absolutely necessary. Everybody can agree on that, but instead, the syrup is racist. Um, you know, we don't like the term master bedroom because that implies there's a master and a slave and and I don't know, maybe it does, maybe it does. I don't know where the word master bedroom came from. I don't know if it's some racist term that this is where the master sleeps and this is where the slave sleeps. I mean, I don't know. I have no idea where the term came from. All I know is that today, that is the term. It doesn't mean anything. It doesn't, it's not meant to hurt black people or oppress black people by, by using the term master bedroom to remind black people of their place, you know. Um, so it just, these symbolic things, as I've talked about before, are just ridiculous. Um, okay, I'm quickly running out of time. I didn't want this whole episode to be a rant. I apologize that so much of it ended up being because I, I even said to myself, it just seems like every week I just get on here and I'm on some rant about how bad things are going in this country. And I just didn't want to do that. But then the news of the day just, you know, it just upsets me and I, I apologize if that's not what you tune in for. I, I I don't want I never wanted to be the kind of broadcaster who just complains about everything. Um I wanted to be more maybe not uplifting, but I wanted to give an intellectual understanding of things. You know, from a you know, because I believe my audience is intelligent. I think you're all intelligent and you shouldn't be talked down to and dumbed down. And I know Tom feels the same way on his game when he does his show too. But uh, so I don't, I, I, I just don't want to get on a complaint and be like, well, you know, I need to vent, you know, and you guys are just my unpaid psychiatrist who, or counselor who just listens to me complain. But let me just end with this uh, speech. During, in 1976, there was, uh, it was the 200th anniversary of the United States and they went around, and I say they, the media and everybody, I was only one year old, so I don't have any idea, first-hand knowledge. And they went around and asked famous Americans, primarily people who had been in politics, but, um, but they, they would ask different Americans to, to speak about different aspects of American life. And um, some of these were called the Bicentennial Minute. Uh, some of you are old enough to remember in the network, when there was only three networks, the networks would have a bicentennial minute in which sometimes they would talk about something that happened that day 200 years previous, or they would have somebody um, just say something patriotic, you know, John Wayne, Henry Fonda, Catherine Hepburn, you know, celebrities at the time, movie stars and things like that would read pieces of the Declaration of Independence or the Constitution or things like this. And here in this particular one, uh, Senator Hubert Humphrey from Minnesota, who had also been Vice President of the United States under Lyndon Johnson from 1965 to 1969, was asked to speak about the preamble of the Constitution. And it is absolutely, I heard it when I was, oh, I heard this about maybe 20 or so years ago, and it just is brilliant. And I've referenced it before, and you might recognize some of it. Um, 
but I want to repeat it here, and I'm, I'm going to add a little bit to it, take a little bit of paraphrase a little bit, but I wanted to uh, end on this note because it's just a wonderful, a wonderful uh, piece. And he says, this, cons this country is based upon the concept of popular sovereignty. We the people, those are the three most important words in the lexicon of democracy. We the people establish and ordain this constitution. And, and I want you to think about that. We the people, not we the Republicans, not we the Democrats, not we the Christians or Muslims or Catholics, not though, you know, everybody, everybody, whether you live in Beverly Hills, California, one of those nice, beautiful mansions, or in a trailer park in Arkansas, whether you're born in the ghettos of New York or Chicago, or whether you live on a wheat farm in Nebraska, if you're a rodeo rider in Montana or you're, you know, a dog sledder in Alaska or a surfer in Hawaii, all across this nation, we the people, Nobody has, they might have more influence, but nobody has any legal authority or power more than anybody else. We're all equal in this country. We the people established this. It wasn't from the top down. It wasn't a king or a dictator who said, this will be how it's going to happen. It was the people that said, we are going to make it happen. The preamble of the Constitution is the most concise statement of public purpose and public policy that you could ever hope to read. Every single part of that preamble is an action part. The thrust of it is action, purpose, decision, drive. Take the word form, to form a more perfect union. That means you've got to work at it. You've got to lay it out. You've got to plan it. You've got to organize it. We form it. And notice a more perfect union. It didn't say we, we created a perfect union and this is why we're going to continue to live by it. It's being formed by every generation. Every generation forms a more perfect union. We'll never get there. We will never be a perfect union because we are made up of imperfect people. But we are always forming, always trying, always you know, always in the process, every election, we were electing people to try to help form a more perfect union, to correct the mistakes of the past, the errors in judgment, and to seek out a better tomorrow and a better future for our children and grandchildren than we had. It says to establish justice. It doesn't just happen. You have to establish it, a body of law, a system. And then to assure domestic tranquility. Domestic tranquility doesn't just happen. It doesn't mean domestic indifference or apathy. It's like the old Hebrew word shalom, a sense of harmony, a peace within harmony. But you've got to assure it. You've got to work at it. You've got to guarantee it. You have to protect it. And then it says to provide for the common defense. That means you may have to sacrifice for it. You may have to give something. You have to provide for it. 
and it has different meanings i believe back then than it does today but it still is powerful back then we didn't have a standing army we were still a new nation we didn't have a large military so part of providing for the common defense meant that all people became belong to a militia that when that when that call came out you grabbed your gun and you went out and you defended your neighbor you defended your your city you defended your state you defended your country you know you provided for the common defense it was incumbent upon all of us to provide for it now it has a little different meaning because we have a standing army we provide for the common defense we give some of the money that we earn and we send that to be used to have a defense in this country a standing army we used to have planes and ships and missiles and tanks and bombs and ammunition and guns we provide we also provide sacrifices of our family and sometimes us you know we go out there and we serve we sacrifice some of our freedom to serve in the military i'm talking about the people in the military they're sacrificing some of their freedom they're sacrificing their right to life because some of them will be killed they're they're sacrificing their right to liberty because in the, mil in the military it's not a democracy it's 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 an absolute a dictatorship in the military you you take orders your commanding officer gives you an order you follow it blindly there is no let's take a vote on this you get to decide and you give up your right to pursue happiness because they're I mean who's gonna be happy in a war zone where you're killing people and you're worried about being killed and you know you're not out there to drink sodas and pick up girls and you know and watch movies you're over there to do a job so today that's how we are providing for the common defense not, at 9-11, when someone attacked the World Trade Centers, that didn't affect me personally. I didn't know anybody in those towers. But when they attack New York, they attacked Michigan. They attacked Montana and Hawaii and Florida. Every one of us were attacked because it is the common defense. We all came to the aid. You know, that is that is the common defense. You attack one American, you you attack one military base you attack one city we don't write it off as much as we make fun of new york and california and these things you know yeah we can they're part of our brotherhood what kind of brothers don't make fun of each other yeah we pick on them you know yeah they're kind of losers over there yeah they're pretty weak over there with their ridiculous ideas about things you know blah 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 that's fine we can do it we're americans we can make fun of each other but by God, if there's if another country attacks Los Angeles or San Francisco, my goodness, it's so liberal. But if they attack San Francisco, it's on. Because you attack one American, you've attacked all Americans. And that is providing for the common defense. We all will pitch in whatever we have to do. If you attack one of us, you've attacked all of us. You've awakened a sleeping giant and you will not prevail against the United States of America. And next it says to promote the general welfare. You've got to get out and work at it. You have to conceive it. You have to sell it. You have to make it work. You have to administer it. You have to promote it. It's like being a trumpeteer. You're out there with your uh, bullhorn and you're announcing it. You're the general welfare. You are making it known. You have to sell it to people. And it, and it says the general welfare, what is good for the majority of people. Any decision the government makes, any decision any individual makes will have 
negative and positive consequences. Somebody is always going to get hurt no matter what you do. Always. There's going to be somebody who comes out on the losing end. There has to be a winner and a loser. There has to be, you know, it, you know, if you're in wartime and you shoot the enemy, you're saving your own life. But if you think about it too much, that enemy has a family. There, that, that guy who got killed, he has a wife and a child maybe that is never going to see their, their husband or father again. They didn't do anything to deserve that. It's not their fault that their country, their country's government's at war with our country. But you do what's best for the majority of the people. Unfortunately, in that case, that was the best thing. But you know, you can't you can't base the war on what happens because of the widows and orphans. We can't go to war because someone's going to die, and if someone dies, that'll hurt people's feelings and make them sad. You know, if the president raises taxes or lowers taxes, he raises taxes, there will be businesses they'll have to go out of business because they can't afford it. If he lowers taxes, there are going to be other businesses that are going to be affected. You know, and and uh, there will be consequences. It might not be shutdowns, but there'll be other consequences if taxes are lowered. Every decision a president makes or a politician makes is going to have consequences. That's why government. That's why politicians have qualified immunity to make decisions. You can't sue Donald Trump because our uh, because your business shut down because of, because he raised tariffs on China. Um, you can't do that because he has qualified immunity. Every decision he makes is going to have a negative uh, a negative uh, consequence. And the president of the United States can't make make decisions based on whether he fears he's going to get sued because of it. He's got to do what's best for everybody, and that's what we're talking about here for the general welfare. We got to do what's best for majority of the people in this country, and that's and that's hard to do because sometimes the minority is the loudest. Um. And then secure the blessings of liberty. You have to secure them. I think that the preamble is such a powerful moving force or statement of policy that we ought to remember what it says. And keep in mind that government is not to be indifferent to the injustices that afflict society. The government has a purpose. It is to build a society, a social structure, and to be just, to give you a degree of peace and security. That was Hubert Humphrey. He was a Democrat. I, that last little part about the government having a purpose I believe in the Declaration of Independence. The purpose of the government is to secure the rights of mankind. It doesn't give rights. It doesn't take away rights. It is to secure rights. But other than that last little part, I love it. I, I love it. It's, a, it's an absolutely wonderful testament, and it's something that I think about quite often when I read the preamble. And I encourage all of you, not just the 4th of July, spend some time reading the Declaration of Independence and reading the Constitution. You don't have to read it all in one big book. But just read it and think about what the words say. So, anyway, all right. Uh, I'm a little over on my time, so I'm going to go. And I hope you enjoyed the broadcast. And listen out for Tom's broadcast, which should be up around the same time as mine. And uh, have a great week, folks. And we'll talk to you soon.